Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Uh, When you hear those words, praise the Lord, what do you think of? Perhaps you take it at face value. Maybe it's something you say, praise the Lord. I say it sometimes, although before I gave my life to Jesus, uh, it always sounded like a bit of a cliche, the kind of thing that a very enthusiastic worshipper might shout out spontaneously in the middle of a service. Uh, Well, today we're looking at Psalm 150. It's the last psalm in the book of Psalms, and it begins and ends with the words, praise the Lord. And it's no coincidence that this is the last thing that the book of Psalms has to say to us. So how do the Psalms get to this point? And what does it mean to praise the Lord anyway? Well, they're two of the questions that we'll try and answer this morning. And we're going to start by going back to the very beginning of the book of Psalms, to the first three verses of Psalm 1. Uh, Here's what they say. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. It sounds very simple and very idyllic, doesn't it? Uh, delight in the law of the Lord, follow his ways, and everything will go well for you. You will prosper. Well, anyone who's been a Christian for more than about five minutes will recognize that this is not always their lived experience. For a start, none of us can follow God's ways. We all deviate from the path, don't we? I think we all uh, know that none of us are perfect. We have deliberately resisted God and ignored his will for our lives. And we can all give a numerous example of when things have gone really badly as a direct result of our ungodly choices. We are sinful, and sin complicates life enormously. But even if we do delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night, even if we have always fought the good fight, and I know I haven't, Even if we have kept running our race, albeit imperfectly, we are still not immune from the struggles of life. Financial pressures, health problems, uh, mental and physical, relationship issues with a spouse or with a a family member, uh, deep concern or even anguish for a loved one, be it a parent, a a sibling, a child, uh, work-related stress. I, I could go on. But I don't think I need to because I'd be surprised if there's anyone here who's not struggling with at least one of those things. The truth is we don't always feel like we're a tree planted by streams of water. Uh, We don't always feel like we're prospering. So Psalm 1 says, follow the Lord and you will prosper. Everything will work out just fine. And then we get to the end to Psalm 150 and it says, uh, praise the Lord. So it does. Uh, and, and we go, huh? We, we can knock this uh, slide off, by the way. So Psalm 150 says, uh, praise the Lord, so it does. And we go, huh? We want to say, well, actually, my experience is that life is a lot more complicated than that. But we don't just have uh, Psalm 1 and Psalm 150. We've got 148 Psalms in between. And it is these Psalms that answer the yes buts. Yes, but. There was a time in my life when I felt like God had abandoned me. Yes, but. 
I had to endure some terrible affliction. Yes, but there were people out to get me. Yes, but that person did some terrible things to me. So we're going to explore the trajectory of the Psalms and try to understand how it is that the last word is one of heartfelt praise. How is it that the last word is one of victory uh, despite all the messy, complicated, traumatic stuff that goes on in between? But first we need to understand what the Psalms are. When we read these texts, what is it that we're actually reading? Uh, Well, the book of Psalms is a collection of 150 Hebrew poems, uh, songs, uh, and and they're all uh, prayers. And they're written at different points in Israel's history. Uh, Almost half of the Psalms are attributed to King David. Uh, About a third of them are anonymous, and various authors wrote the remainder. And all of the Psalms fall into one of two categories. Psalms of lament and Psalms of praise. Psalms of lament are a response to the evil, injustice, and suffering that exist in our world. Uh, Very often they're a specific response to the awful things that are happening in the life of the person writing the psalm, uh, the psalmist. They express pain, confusion, and anger. Uh, Psalms of lament draw our attention to what is wrong in the world, and they call upon God to do something about it. Psalms of praise are more or less the opposite. They draw our attention to all that is good in the world, and they give God thanks and praise for it. They are joyful and celebratory in their tone, often recalling God's mighty deeds and remembering his promises. And the thing is with the Psalms, and we looked at this with the kids' church intro, is that they express the full range of human emotions. Love, hatred, fear, Trust, desperation, hope, it's all in there. Uh, They express positive emotions and they express negative emotions. They express godly feelings and they express ungodly feelings. Uh, They are the most raw and honest prayers that you will ever hear or read. Now the Psalms cover a lot of subject matter, but the predominant theme is that of Israel's future hope. Uh, the, the hope of a, a messianic king who would defeat evil, administer justice, and establish his kingdom over all the earth. In other words, a lot of the Psalms are a plea to God to do this thing that he's promised to do. And what's interesting is that the Psalms are not just thrown together randomly. Uh, they're ordered in a very specific way. Now, there's a lot we could say about this because the ordering of the Psalms is actually incredibly intricate. But I just want to sketch the basic structure because that will give us our trajectory, our direction of travel. So the Psalms are divided into five parts called books. So, for example, book one is Psalms 1 to 41, and book two is Psalms uh, 42 to 72, and so on. And these books will be marked in your Bibles. When you go through reading the books of Psalms, you'll find those dividers of the different books uh, in the Bible. And the first three books are dominated by lament. Uh, But then in books four and five, Psalms of praise outnumber the psalms of lament until you get to the end of book five and then you have uh, these five hallelujah psalms these five psalms of of praise so following the trajectory of the book of psalms we start with uh, lament 
with a bit of praise. And then we have praise with a bit of lament. And then we have all-out praise. I think you can see how the Psalms move us in a much more positive direction. They acknowledge that all is not well with the world. And they look forward to a time when God's promises will be fulfilled and creation will be put right. And that is also the trajectory of the whole Bible. Right at the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, immediately after creation, a problem occurs and is identified, namely humankind's sin and rebellion against God. The call to obedience that we see in Genesis 2, and we see it in Psalm 1 as well, that call to obedience is ignored, and things get very messy and very complicated very quickly. And the rest of the Bible is all about what God is doing about this problem. It points forwards to Jesus, and then when we come to the New Testament and we hear of Jesus' death and resurrection, then it's also pointing forwards to the time when Jesus will return to make all things new. Uh, And this trajectory that we see in the Bible in general, and we see in the book of Psalms specifically, is the same trajectory that a believer can expect to see and experience in his or her life. We are called to obedience, and we fail. And bad things happen, sometimes as a result of our disobedience, quite often as a result of our disobedience, and sometimes just because we live in the midst of a fallen, sinful, broken world. Many of the things we struggle with are not our doing. They're not our fault. We are caught up in the mess of a world that is in rebellion against God. So how do we praise the Lord? Not just when things are going well, but also when things are really quite awful. Well, the psalmist clung to the hope of a future messianic king. We know that king by name. His name is, of course, Jesus. And he said this to his disciples. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Biblical faith is always forward-looking. We praise God in spite of the struggles, not just for what God has done or for what he is doing, but for what he promises to do in the future. We must not lose sight of the trajectory that creation is on. We must not lose sight of the trajectory that our life is on. And that is why the Psalms end with these great hallelujah Psalms, because the Psalmist and indeed the Christian should always be mindful of where everything is headed. Psalm 150 is only six verses long, and yet we're told to praise the Lord 13 times within those six verses. Praise is a universal language. No matter where you go in the world, you can recognize it, you can understand it, and you can enjoy it. Uh, The most uplifting church service I ever attended was under a tarpaulin in a village in northern India. I couldn't understand a word that was said. They only had one instrument. I think it was called a harmonium, which is a a cross between a miniature organ and an accordion, if you can imagine such a thing. Uh, But it was so uplifting. Uh, I didn't need to understand the words. I knew that Jesus was being praised. I knew that the Holy Spirit was present. And some of the people at that service had walked for more than an hour, in some case nearly two hours, to be there. 
They weren't prosperous people, but they weren't going to let anything prevent them from praising the Lord. Praise is a universal language, and Psalms, uh, Psalm 150 tells us where, why, and how to praise. Firstly, where? The psalm begins, praise God in his sanctuary. Well, the sanctuary or tabernacle uh, uh, in, in the Old Testament is the place where God dwells on earth with his people. It began as a, as a portable construction, and it was later made more permanent with the building of the temple. And this was the primary location for the worship of God's people on earth. The psalmist then says, praise him in his mighty heavens. God is not just to be praised on earth, but also in heaven. Uh, So this first verse is saying, praise God on earth and in heaven. In other words, praise God everywhere. Are we prepared to praise God everywhere? We come to church, yep, we're prepared to praise God at church. What about at home with our families? What about on social media? What about in our place of work? Are we willing to praise God there? I mean, that doesn't mean that at lunchtime we have to stand on our desk and sing worship songs at the top of our voice. I mean, you can do that. It'll be a bit awkward. But the word praise is actually quite broad. Hallelujah means to boast in the Lord to say something good about the Lord, to, to speak of the, the Lord in such a way as to, as to honor, admire, and express approval. Are we prepared to talk about Jesus in that way at work? Are we willing to praise the Lord everywhere? Secondly, why? Why do we praise the Lord? Verse 2 tells us, it says, praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. In other words, we pray God, praise God for what he's done, his acts of power. And we praise God for who he is, his surpassing greatness. And those two things can be seen most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself. He died and he was raised to new and everlasting life. That is an act of power. But he simultaneously revealed God's character in a much clearer and deeper, fuller way than anyone had ever seen before. Of course, the, the, the psalmist is looking back on what God has done for his people. But he's also looking forward prophetically to what God will do in the future. And we do the same thing, just from a much better vantage point, because we know Jesus Uh, So we look back on what Jesus has done. He's died on a cross for our sins and he's been raised to new and everlasting life. And we look forward to what Jesus will do. He will return to renew and restore the whole of creation. We need to constantly remind ourselves who Jesus is and what he's done. Not just on uh, on the grand cosmic scale, but what has he done for us today, this week? over the past year, over the course of our lives. If we take our eyes off Jesus, who he is and what he's done, we simply won't be able to praise him. Someone will say, praise the Lord. And we'll say, yes, but my soul is in deep anguish. Psalm 6, verse 3. Praise the Lord. Yes, but God doesn't answer me. Psalm 22, verse 2. Praise the Lord. Yes, but but many have become my enemies without cause, Psalm 38, verse 19. 
We can't afford to focus on the yes buts. We must focus on Jesus, who did in fact experience all of the things that I've just mentioned, all of the things that the psalmist is trying to express. And so if we want to praise the Lord, we must put Jesus right at the very center of our lives. It won't do to have Jesus on the periphery, to, to, to have Jesus uh, on the edges of our, our life. We need to bring Jesus right into the very center of our lives. And if we want to know if Jesus is at the center of our lives, I think the three questions that we can ask ourselves, and they have to do with our thoughts, our motives, and our actions. So the first question is this. What do we think about? What do we think about? What occupies our thoughts? What is most prevalent in our minds, especially when we're alone? You know, maybe we're lying in bed at the end of the day and our mind settles. Or we wake up in the middle of the night or in the early hours of the morning and we're thinking. What are we thinking about? Our minds are like a compass. When we're calm and still and there's no distractions, where does the needle of that compass point? Does it point to Jesus or does it point somewhere else? What are we thinking about? Next question, why do we do what we do? This is much harder to answer because quite often we don't really know ourselves what our motivation is, uh, why we do what we do. But, but why do we do what we do? Why do we say what we say? Why do we text what we text? Why do we post what we post? Do we just want people to like us? Are we out to impress? Have we got something to prove to ourselves and others? Or do we simply want to please the Lord our God? Why do we do what we do? Finally, how are we serving the Lord? Every one of us is called to serve the Lord, humbly and joyfully and wholeheartedly. How are we doing that? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 